Mark, I was re-watching The Wolf of Wall Street just the other day, really? and I thought to myself, yes, wouldn't it be good to make all that money without doing, you know, all that bad stuff? Well, it certainly would, Simon, without the bad stuff. Yes. Well, Mark, after the film finished, I hopped onto the internet, as you do, and I found this site called Shopify. Have you heard of Shopify? I think I might have done, but tell me. Well, Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, or grow your own business. Yes, I have heard of Shopify. It's the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. That's right. Whether you're selling Danish pastries or cherry wine, Lovely. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Hello? Not mayo. All lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Something wrong here. Without mayo. You know that bit between... Christmas and New Year. Twixtmas. It's like the space-time continuum. It kind of goes on. Yes. And no one knows what day it is. And everyone eats all the time. And they have Baileys for breakfast. Right. There's some Stolen here, for example. Okay. Very, very bad to eat in a podcast. Which, bit, which one is the Stolen? And which one have you paid for? The bit that isn't the mince pie. Is it that one? Uh huh. What is it? Stolen. No, thank you. What does what do, what is in Stolen? Too much marzipan for my liking. <clears throat> it's kind of traditional German cake with currants, but an awful lot of marzipan. It's, it's a Velociraptor's favourite thing. You'd have thought a Velociraptor might like to rip someone's throat out before it has Stolen for pudding. What do you think? I think it's quite hard to swallow. <laughs> mm. Well, but does it have a nice taste? What, what does it... I can't quite figure out what it tastes of. Marzipan and currants. A lot of marzipan, because I don't like marzipan. There's too much of it. Marzipan's made of almonds, right? Mm-hmm. Almond paste. Mm. Uh, honestly, I'm not crazy about it. Nice to hear you masticating, though. Hear the contents of your mouth. It's fantastic. Sounds great. Don't put it back on the plate. Someone else will eat it. <laughs> I walked well, into that room and I thought, there's a nice piece of stolen. And it looks as though it was Did just you like... finish your piece? No, 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 it's over here. Well, you got a plate. I ain't got a plate. Put that. You stolen. My plate was stolen. Could you stolen. put that? Stolen. Stolen. Go on. There you go. Mm. You know, a big thumbs up for the for the catering, I would say. But the, <clears throat> the satsuma looks really nice. I'm not quite sure I could cope with a mince pie just yet. But are the satsumas okay? The best, the best satsumas are ones when the you now you see. Okay, the best satsumas are the ones when the satsuma has slightly shrunk inside, so the skin just falls off. But these aren't just falling off. God, that stolen is really moist. No, it's not moist. It's 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 sticky. 
Anyway, um, you carry on. I'm just doing Christmas this. has been and gone, even though uh, we're still eating as though it is. Well, although actually it hasn't, because the twelve days of Christmas begin at Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. No, don't no. Do they don't they begin on Christmas Eve? Well, it lasts until Epiphany. So it lasts until January the sixth. So you don't. Take... And remind me, what was the Epiphany? Well, the Epiphany on January the sixth. That's mm. that is when the what happened in the Epiphany. That is when the wise men mm-hmm. arrive. Is it? Yes. The epiphany is when the wise men arrive. Mm-hmm. I think Are you I'm making right. that up? No, I don't think so. Can the, I have wi- that the wise men don't arrive in the nativity scene along with the shepherds. The wise men come later. Yeah, and here's an interesting thing. The three kings, although there are more than three. I saw, oh, God. I saw three ships come sailing by. Is that you oh. eating now and... Mm. Oh. I saw three ships come sailing on Christmas Day and Christmas Day. And they sailed into Bethlehem. Well, isn't Bethlehem landlocked? What's that got to do with anything? Well, how can they sail it into Bethlehem? Is it that the three ships of I saw three ships, are they camels? Are they ships of the desert? I have no idea. The Epiphany. This is a great listen. It is. Particularly with the sounds of your contents of your mouth, also known as Theophany, is a Christian feast day commemorating the visit of the Magi, the baptism of Jesus, and the wedding at Cana. Okay, so it's the it's the wise men and the kings. That's what it is. Yeah, and so I was the right. wise men were not there at the same time. as Oh, the they sailed into Bethlehem. No, they did not. For it was it was landlocked. But back in the day, maybe they the could. lyric mentions the ships sailed into Bethlehem, but the nearest body of water is the Dead Sea, which is twenty miles away. The reference to three ships... I was right! I was right! The reference to three ships is thought to originate in the, th- in the, th- in the three ships that bore the purported... Uh, maybe I'm not right. The reference to the three ships is thought to originate <laughs> in the three ships that bore the purported relics of the biblical magi to Cologne Cathedral okay, in the 12th so, century. So that bellowing that you just did was inappropriate. Woke everyone out of their Christmas. Another tea. possible reference in Wenceslas last two. Okay, welcome to take one. Cur- but a zero three, I don't know. Well, you can't have sailed into Bethlehem anyway because it's not possible. Apart from all that, did you have a nice Christmas? I did. Did you shout at people that you were right every now and again as you got questions right? Well, that's not to do with Christmas. That's just to do with generally me. Oh, okay. Uh, what was your favourite thing about Christmas? Um... <laughs> well, it's after Christmas, so what was your favourite thing? Would you say um, of all? Well, very. Let me ask, let me, I know. Let I, me ask you a question, Simon. Yes. How was the weather at Christmas? The weather was about eight degrees as we drove out to Heathrow Airport. It's cloudy. Listen, you're talking to someone who late eighties record pre-recorded a Christmas Eve show with Steve Wright, like three weeks beforehand, right in in Cardiff, and Steve did weather and travel. Okay, three weeks ahead of time. And How? It sounded fine. It, it, it was. It was. It was very vague. Did he just say the M4's a bit sticky? Yeah, um, I'd avoid the M25 and uh, cloudy, uh, warm in places. A chance of meatballs. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so Christmas Day, I would say it was quite mild. Quite mild. Although I am slightly concerned about that the, there might have been a storms gone through. There's yeah. been named storms every week. I mean, you know, the main thing to be concerned about is the collapsing polar vortex. Because if the polar vortex does collapse, then we're going to get another beast from the east. What is the polar vortex? Well, it keeps all the cold weather in the very north. Does the vessel with the pestle have the brew that is true? That's the one. So, 
that could well happen. So if so, the winds are weakening, and if they weaken altogether and then they go into opposition, then the vortex collapses and all the coldness which has been kept in place, it's a bit like the day after tomorrow, it collapses, <laughs> and then we all freeze. Sorry, is this a true thing? No, that is true. There, right. there is, or is this like the Earth is slowing down? That is, but that is also true. The Earth is slowing down, and the polar vortex is slowing down. Right, and if the polar the, vortex is slowing down faster than the Earth is slowing down. Yeah, because if the polar vortex does indeed collapse, we'll know about It'll it be quite Wednesday in, in the next few weeks. Okay, it might even have happened. And is that's how you get a beast from the east? Yes. Also, I think it's El Nino. El Nino. Is it? Ni I think it's El Nino. I'm no. not sure if it's Nino or Nino. El Nino, isn't it? Which means it's mild now, mild until the end of winter, early spring, in which okay. case then it gets very cold. And if that coincides with a collapsing polar vortex, then okay. it's time to stay in a heating room somewhere. Um, so anyway, so that was your Christmas. You haven't answered the question. It was, it, it was, it was, it was fine. In a sentence. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it was unremarkable. 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 So much so that you can't actually... I can't, we can't recall. Did you have any... Uh, what was your... F okay, here's the question. <laughs> what, is, what is it that you're likely to eat? At Christmas. This is not a riddle. Honestly. No, okay. Is there a treat that you particularly look forward to having from a food or drink point of view at Christmas, which you would not normally have at any time? So in this period between Christmas and New Year, is there something in your house which you would not have normally bought mm -hmm. that you enjoy that you wouldn't have the rest of the year? Terry's chocolate orange. Do you only have a Terry's chocolate orange at Christmas? Yes, although I'm not sure whether we have one now because I imagine they're not vegan. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether they are or not. I imagine that they're not. So could you not have a, a non-vegan Terry's chocolate orange? Well, the thing is that the house is going very... Stalin probably wasn't vegan. No, but the thing is that I'm not at home. The house is becoming very vegan. Oh, so vegan house, but when you're out of the house, there are different rules. Well, it's not rules. It's, you know, I'm a pescatarian. I eat fish, but in our house, um, there is... Fish from Marillion. Fish from Marillion, yes. There's no, there's no longer any dairy... Um, because the good lady professor has decided that she's going to 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 try as best possible to be vegan, and um, the child one and child two are militantly vegan. So you're vegan adjacent, really. I'm vegan adjacent, yes. Um, and I tr I do try, you know, I, I do try to not do dairy, but you know, as you know, when you're out and about, there's only certain number of okay. vegan, so Terry's vegan chocolate Big orange. Macs. Terry's chocolate orange. Yeah. Well, and do you attack it with a hammer? Or would you? No, I tap it, unwrap it, individual. Like you know, each yeah. each kind of. Do you remember the? Do you remember the the advert? It's still it, running. Unwrap it. Is it? It's still totally okay. Yeah. Fine. And the way when it's split and it's brilliant. And because the very best bit of it is the big chunk of chocolate in the middle that isn't any of the bits. You tap it, unwrap it, and then there's a big like nodule of chocolate. The best chocolate though is always the Easter egg. I know we because it's thinner and somehow thin chocolate tastes no, better than the fat. best chocolate orange is a Bendix vitamin. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can have some. In a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, what well, are you going to last night? I didn't come to your house because you, you had family. Well, last night, of course, we're as we are in this Christmas period. Obviously, you were in your house and I was in my house. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Yes. So, um, what else would you say is coming up on the show today? We're going to be reviewing a bunch of movies. Uh, Raging Grace uh, is one of them. Priscilla is another one. And Scarlet, exclamation Scarla. mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. 
Oh, right. Three of them. Yeah, three, three exclamation marks. Maybe four, actually, but yes, three exclamation marks after Scarlet. And that's a documentary about it is three. Um, uh, thank you, Velocity Raptor in Chief. All, uh, plus, also, all the best and worst movies of 2023. Uh, oh, yes, we're doing that as well. Yes, I've got that. Got, it's a five, good job I have prepared that, you know, unlike the words of wisdom. I actually have actually done that bit of preparation. And then in take two, you can hear our best bits of the year, best reviews, most ranty reviews, inspiring interviews, uh, and so on. But we're going to start with, I, I like, Raging Grace is a great title. Yes. So, Let's find out if the movie holds up to it. Okay, so uh, Raging Grace is the debut feature by Paris Darcilla, and it is a modern mix of gothic horror and social satire. It put me somewhat in mind of, do you remember Babak Anvari's Under the Shadow, which I really liked? What do you think? I think no. No. So uh, Max Eigenman plays Joy, undocumented Filipina cleaner, moving from house to house in London with her daughter Grace, Basically, they couch surf wherever they can. At one point, they uh, they ring one of the houses to, to, and they get a message say, "Oh well, sorry, we're away for it." So they go there and they stay they stay there for a while. Joy is also trying to pay off someone who promises that he that they can get them citizenship to avoid deportation, but he wants fifteen thousand pounds. She only has ten thousand pounds. He says, "No, it's fifteen or nothing." Things look bleak. Until she lands a job in a mansion, this huge big house, into which she smuggles her daughter in a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, because she's not meant to have a daughter with her. Takes her upstairs to the bedroom that she's been uh, given to stay in and puts the daughter in the cupboard and says, you're going to sleep in the cupboard. And the employer, Catherine, the ambest, tells her that she's going to be, says, I can't pay you agency rates, but I can pay you £1,000 a week in cash. She thinks, this is it. This is the answer to all my problems. Sounds great. Until... She meets Catherine's uncle, Master Garrett, played by David Heyman, who at first appears bedridden and at the end of his days, if not actually dead, but then starts to change. Here is a clip. How would you like to have your own bedroom? What do you mean? Well, your mother's going to come and work for me now, and you can both come and live here for as long as you like. I can have any bedroom, please. <laughs> Almost any, but on one condition. You call me your Lolo. Grandpa? Uh, okay. Thank you, Lolo Garrett. I'm so happy. You're my family now. Um, Mr. Garrett, do you already have any... Uh, oh, uh, let's do away with Mr. Oh, Lolo Garrett, do you already have plans for Winkat? No, no. I prefer Master. And you could hear from... Blimey what's happening in the soundtrack. So this is apparently the first British Filipino film produced in the UK, premiered at South by Southwest, uh, well, last year now. Picked up Best Film in Competition, Best Debut. More recently, it got two Biffa nominations, the Maverick Award and uh, Best Breakthrough Producer. It is an odd film. It has a growing, it has an atmosphere of kind of growing dread. And it's laced through with this kind of political satire. There's a, there's there's lots of stuff like this one moment when she encounters some people and they just see her and they go, oh, you must be the new cleaner. So there's a lot of stuff about the way in which you're perceived, the way in which one of the one of the employees says, oh, no, no, you must call me by my first name, but not meaning that in any sort of... With, there's one thing which we have a montage of people who uh, with whom for whom she's working. And one of them says, oh, yes, no, yes, the Philippines, I've been there. It's, it's so I loved it. It was, it was so spiritual. But it's about a lot of things. And I think that sometimes, I think in its later, its later sections, it perhaps bites off more than it can chew. But 
It's really got a distinctive vision. It's a really good um, uh, sort of calling card of a film because it's clearly the work of somebody who is a filmmaker who understands that story is not just to do with narrative. It's to do with establishing an atmosphere, establishing, telling the audience stuff that they know because of things other than dialogue. Like, for example, the score is by John Clark, who uh, won a Best Original Composition in a Feature Film at the Music and Sound Awards. And the music really does a lot of kind of getting, you know, it kind of scratches at the edges of of what's going on with the narrative and it tells you that this there is something brewing that's really dark. And like I said, occasionally I think it's, it's it, if anything, it's slightly overambitious, but it's very well judged. The performances are very good. And there are, there's a couple of, you know, really, really creepy moments in it. And it has substance to it. And I'd be very, very interested to see what Paris is Arcilla does next because this is a, a very impressive... I mean, it's the first time I'd encountered Paris Arcilla's work. And on the, you know, on the strength of this, I'd like to see much more. Uh, okay, and that film is Raging Grace. Raging Grace. a cinema release. Yes, and that opens uh, the 29th. What date are we now? When does this drop? That's today. Today then. Yeah. Time for another mince pie. And a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. But first, which song are these lyrics from? Okay. Is it you or me now? Well, it doesn't really... You never have anything prepared. So the fact that it's prepared... Actually, it's... um, Remember, the redactor is not with us. The redactor is skiing. Okay. Okay, so this is... Skiving. This is by the Velociraptor. Okay, fine. Okay. Word on the street, Santa's coming tonight. Reindeers flying through the sky so high. I should be making a list, I know, but I'm under the mistletoe. Mark, I was re-watching The Wolf of Wall Street just the other day. And I thought to myself, yes, wouldn't it be good to make all that money without doing, you know, all that bad stuff? It certainly would, Simon, without the bad stuff. Yes. Well, Mark, after the film finished, I hopped onto the internet, as you do, and I found this site called Shopify. Have you heard of Shopify? I think I might have done, but tell me. Well, Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, or grow your own business. Yes, I have heard of Shopify. It's the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. That's right. Whether you're selling Danish pastries or cherry wine, lovely. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Hello? Not Mayo. All lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Something wrong here. Without Mayo. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. 
such as? Well, such as High and Low, John Galliano, which is the thought-provoking new documentary from Oscar winner Kevin MacDonald, charting the rise and fall of the fashion designer John Galliano. It's, uh, it traces Galliano's working and private life through the decades, candidly investigating his struggles with addiction and the industry pressure he faced along the way. It features conversations with Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, Penelope Cruz, Charlize Theron, uh, Anna Wintour, and many, many more. And it is showing in UK cinemas from March the 8th. Or you could explore the Women's Cinematographers Film Group, streaming on movie in the UK from March the 8th, as women have found more equal footing in the film industries, directors, producers and screenwriters, cinematography remains a stubborn final frontier. Around International Women's Day, movie are spotlighting the artistic and technical work of women working behind the camera, including... Including films such as Annette from 2021, Benedetta from the same year, and more recently, Passages, all streaming in the UK from March the 8th. You can try movie free for 30 days at movie.com slash Kermit and Mayo. That's movie.com slash Kermit and Mayo for a whole month of great cinema for free. Word on the street, Santa's coming tonight. Reindeer's flying through the sky so high. Da-di-da. Anyway, it's from 2011, Mistletoe by Justin Bieber. Oh, well, I don't know that. Why would I know Justin Bieber? I, it gives me another opportunity to tell you how I was in a steam room with steam Justin Steam room with Justin Bieber. That was very exciting. How was he? Steamy. Well, he he was shouting at his uh, one of his. Stars. Oh yes, that's right. Because what what that, like so, like the room was the wrong color of pink or something. No, there'd been as there'd I, been an interview. There'd, no, no, no. There'd been a concert. It had been as I, this is as I recall. It had been too brief, and he was getting some stick for it. And I went to the same gym that I normally uh, went to, and he was there um, working his uh, body off and. Uh, <laughs> And he clearly had some words to say to one of his employees, and right. he chose to say it in the steam room because the steam room is only like room for about four or five people. Right. And I thought, okay, well, I'm quite interested to know what you're saying. So I, we're all wearing towels, by the way. And <laughs> thanks, uh, for, thanks for clearing that up. When I uh, and I walked in, they both turned around and walked out. So there you go. So I didn't really get to hear anything because yeah. they decided not to continue their brief. Yeah. But anyway. But he was shouting. It, well, he wasn't. He was clearly un. Uh, yes. He, I think he had negative vibes. Negative vibes. Leaking through his towel. Okay. Just in case you're interested. Um, so thank you very much for all the correspondence that we get. We appreciate it very much. Correspondence at codemayo.com. This uh, email comes from Natalie. Best hat in the cheap seats, Cheltenham 2007, and hoping for some of your excellent merch for Christmas. Obviously, this was sent to us before Christmas and not here we are in the after Christmas period. That's right, because Christmas has happened. That's right. And it was just fine. It was just fine. Um, Mark and Simon, I've been wanting to email you both for a long time, but can never find a good enough reason. But here tonight, I'm currently writing this email whilst feeding my baby girl. Um, oh, by the way, th- this, is, uh, this is a moving email. Um, sad and positive. So you can carry on eating. Uh, I'm writing this email whilst feeding my baby girl and during an intermission of the film, Claus, Klaus. Claus. Because it, it, yeah. if you saw it, that's Klaus, as in Klaus yeah. Wunderlich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's Klaus. Klaus Wunderlich, Pop Party, Volume 25. Correct. The unplanned break came at a fortunate moment, seeing as my husband and I were quietly and secretly both in tears. Being a long-term, long-term listener since 2005, which started with my then-boyfriend and now-husband, your show has been a constant in our lives. 
You've seen us through a particularly difficult and challenging period trying to increase our family. The podcast has always been a familiar friend. On a particularly sad Sunday morning, with the knowledge that things weren't going to be all right in the end this time, we found ourselves at a loss as to what to do. We found ourselves gravitating towards the cinema to escape and went to an 11am showing of Toy Story 4. We sat and watched and laughed and cried. Film is always being discussed on your wonderful programme on how healing it can be. And never more so have I agreed on that sad morning. Four years on and watching Claws, Klaus, we are taken right back. The pain of what might have been is something that is always carried and is perfectly depicted in a particular scene in this wonderful animation. I sit here now so grateful for our two beautiful little children that we were fortunate to eventually have, but who just took longer to arrive than expected. And watching this, I felt this has been redacted. And watching this, I felt the need to email you. I'm not confident in my writing, but I just wanted to convey how much I love the programme. Isn't that nice? Lovely, thank you. You've been there in good times and bad during cleaning sessions and nighttime feeds. The thoughts and questions of my fellow Vanguardistas always keep me wondering. I've been introduced to a world of cinema that would have not been on my radar, if it weren't for you, the Lunchbox, Florida Project, and the more recent unbelievable recommendation, to name a few. The Last of Us is not something I may have normally watched, but if Kermit and Mayo loved it, then let's give it a go. Of course, we loved it. Additionally, music that makes you cry, the theme to Planet Earth 2 by Hans Zimmer, <laughs> and the soaring strings. Keep up the excellent work. Natalie, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you very much for getting in touch. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas, as indeed did we, because Christmas has passed. <laughs> Who's your favourite present? A pair of headphones that I got given. That was a very nice thing. Mm -hmm. I was very grateful for the two... That's uh, not a joke instantly. That is my favourite present. I know that that's what I'm getting. Oh, okay. Um, I particularly liked the two French shepherd puppies that I got. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was very... I never thought I was actually going to get the puppies that I've been waiting for for all my life, but... You say puppies like Glenn Close in 101 Dalmatians. That's not a puppies. good thing. Not a good thing at <laughs> Get all. Get me those puppies. Uh, correspondence at covidomain.com. That's our email. What else is out? Priscilla. Um, this was doing 35 mil pre- uh, previews from the 26th and now in cinemas. So, new film by Sophie Coppola, who's the director behind Virgin Suicides, Marie Antoinette, and much more. This is based on the memoir Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley, who is also gets an executive producer credit. And it follows the strange and often disturbing relationship between Priscilla, who was, I think, 14, 15 years old when she first met the superstar that was uh, Elvis Presley, took a shine to her through one of the, the you know, so-called Memphis Mafia, who was sent to invite her. Have a look at a clip. Terry West, what's your name? Priscilla I see you coming here a lot. Is your family stationed here? Yes. Where are you from? Texas. My dad just transferred here in August. That's so. How do you like Germany? Mm. I booked the entertainment here. My wife plays here sometimes. Neat. Do you like Elvis Presley? Of course. Who doesn't? I'm a friend of his. My wife and I go to his house sometimes when he has people over. He's always glad to see folks from back home. Uh, we're going this weekend if you want to join. have to ask my parents. Well, all right. See you around. So that's rising star Katie Spaney who won a Volpe Cup for Best Actress when the film premiered at Venice. Why not what? Volpe. V-O-L-P-I. It's just the name of the particular award. Okay. 
not a, you know, it's, it's what it's called. And then Jacob Elordi, who, of course, you will remember from uh, Saltburn. You know, the, the main guy in Saltburn? Yes. Who's, well, the main guy who isn't Barry Keoghan. Yes. Barry Keoghan. Um, he's uh, Elvis, which is a kind of near impossible task to play Elvis in the wake of the performance by Austin Butler. In, it was so fantastic. He was so fantastic in, in, in Baz Luhrmann's movie. But actually, I think Jacob Elordi does a pretty good job. So the thing is, unlike the Baz Luhrmann uh, biopic, firstly, this doesn't feature Elvis music. This has got things like, um, well, there's some anachronistic stuff. So there's the Ramones cover of Baby I Love You. There's music from the French rock band Phoenix. Um, Copeland's been married to Thomas Marr since 2011. And then stuff from Sons of Raphael. And the air of the film is, I mean, you know the story of Priscilla and Elvis. Do you know the story? Okay, roughly, I suppose. Okay, so he met her when she was still at school and she then moved into Graceland um, in a platonic sense that she was, you know, chaperone. Now you did, air, you did... I did, you know, air, in as, yes, so she she moved into, she was basically, she became the guardian, she was guardian at Graceland, and then she ended up marrying Elvis, but of course they their relationship was non-physical for, you know, until is the marriage. A, is that actually true? It is actually true, yes, and in fact, this is, you know, she, she if you if you read Priscilla's account of it, this is very, very close to it. There is a, there's a strange thing, which is almost like a kind of gothic melodrama, that she's moved into Graceland, um, in which it's almost like she is preparing to become Elvis's bride. Elvis, meanwhile, is, I mean, there's a touch, you may, you've seen the Hitchcock, Rebecca, is that weird, that really weird thing about going, you know, like moving into a house in which the, you're 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 kind of a fish out of water, and very very young, and the strangeness of this life in which she goes to school by day, she comes back, she's Elvis's girlfriend, but Elvis is out in the world, you know, having making headlines because of all these girls that he's being seen with. So out in the world, he's behaving like a kind of pop star. And back at home, he's behaving like a Southern gentleman. So it's a really, really strange thing. And I mean, it, it is strange. And the, what the movie does, what the movie does in a very kind of non-judgmental way is flag up the weirdness of the situation that Priscilla Bolio and then uh, you know, later Presley found herself in. And I think that what's really interesting about it is that Coppola sort of finds a finds a way of telling that story without being in any way sensationalist, without being in any way um, overtly judgmental, but allowing the audience to see this kind of... I mean, it, it is, it's like a twisted fairy tale. You're one of these people who everyone loves Elvis. You said you like everyone loves Elvis. People are screaming about the idea of Elvis. And then this idea that you go to school and everyone loves Elvis. Then you go back to Graceland and you are Elvis's chosen one. But Elvis is off around the world being Elvis. And then there's this kind of really weird thing that as she grows up and she then you know marries Elvis and um, they have a child and he sort of becomes, he kind of, if anything, he regresses. I mean, the story of Elvis is that the more famous he became, the more he kind of regressed into the surroundings of those around him. I mean, of course, in, in 
uh, in Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann film, it's really about him kind of sinking into the clutches of, of Colonel Tom. And Priscilla has always had this, she, she's been the kind of the keeper of the flame. She's the person who kind of, you know, managed the Elvis estate to what it is. And she's a, she's a, a formidable character. And I think that this does a very good job of telling her story in a way that there's no, I mean, there's just no getting around the weirdness of it. I mean, it is really, really weird and peculiar. I mean, again, you look at the story of Jerry Lee Lewis, um, which is even more weird and disturbing. And I know everyone says, okay, well, different times, different places, and there are different stories. But essentially, it is a story about a young girl being plucked from one world, put into another world in which, you know, she's on the one hand, you know, cared for and looked after, but there, but there's, there's something very, very strange going on. And then as she sort of grows into herself, the world around her doesn't grow with it. It's kind of, it's melancholy. It's, sometimes it's, it's kind of sweet. It's very, it's got a very delicate touch. The film's got a very, very delicate touch. And it... It does a really impressive job of allowing the audience to, to make their own judgments about just how strange this is. And it, it is, there is no getting around the fact that there is, there is a sort of sense of gothic melodrama, that it is, there is a Rebecca thing going on. There is a, there, it's, you know, like a Disney princess suddenly transported into the lair of, you know, you think of Beauty and the Beast or something like that. And you have to keep reminding yourself, no, this is true. This story is true. And, you know, Elvis and Priscilla were together for a very long time and then and then they weren't. Um, and she has always been considered by, I mean, you know, Elvis fans hold her in great reverence because she was the person who sort of, you know, took on the mantle of all that stuff. But it's, it is... It's a. I thought it was. I. Th I think it's a very fine film. I think the performances are terrific. I think it really captures the period well, and I think that what Jacob Elordi does is keeps on the back foot. So you're not getting that thing when Austin Butler is on in in Elvis. Every single scene, he's lighting up the the screen. You remember the scene when he plays at the Louisiana Hayride, and it suddenly goes all Jimi Hendrix, and you're you know you can't keep your eyes off him. Well, in this, you can. And it's it's a quite a clever thing to do as a, a performance of Elvis in which you are not the most interesting person in the frame. The most interesting person in the frame is Priscilla, who doesn't say very much, who quite often is being pushed to the sides of the drama by this this whole kind of machinery of stuff which is going on around Elvis and the family and Graceland and the success. And there is something really clever about making a film in which a sidelined character, who his narrative is quite genuinely sidelined, is, is the centre of the story. And the more I think about it, the more I think that Sophia Coppola has done a very, very good job of telling this very complicated and often very, very disturbing story in a way that is just, okay, this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then trusting the audience to find their own way through the emotional and philosophical and moral minefield of what's playing out. So, big thumbs up then. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, re I, I, I liked it very much. And I was surprised because it's, um, it's, there's something, there is something so artful about making an apparently sidelined character the centre of the drama without giving them big speeches. It's not to do with big, it's to do with, 
Well, it's to do with it's to do with with what you don't say rather than what you do say. Cinematic release for, yes. for and, uh, yeah, and as I said from the first, they were doing thirty five mil uh, release of it, and then a movie habit. So, uh, more in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at NordVPN. Mark, would you say that AI has been one of the hot topics of the last 12 months or I so? I would indeed yes. say that, Simon. We've had uh, writers and actors striking over the potential misuses of AI. We've had many films exploring the topic, including uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and The Creator, among others. We have, and although technological advancements bring with them exciting things, they also open the door to cybercrime. Yes, and with all these technological improvements, cybercrime will become more accessible to the average criminal and will become more frequent. And I've said it once, and I'll say it again. This is why NordVPN is so important. With one click on the NordVPN app, you are protected, meaning that you don't have to be tech-savvy. Their threat protection feature shields your devices from viruses, malicious malware and phishing sites. Also, one NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices. Plus, you can get access to streaming services in other regions, all for the price of a cup of coffee per month. To get the best available discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And you'll help support our podcast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast? Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed. Indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. That's indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. Uh, coming very soon, uh, top fives, best films, worst films uh, of the year. But we're not done with the reviews. Well, Mark is done with the reviews because no. there's a film, maybe for the first time, with three exclamation marks. Yes. So this is a documentary called Scarlet, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. This is not a documentary about the classical uh, radio station that gives you classical music for modern life, for which we both uh, Fantastic. work. Fantastic. Yeah. This is a drama about... Um, it's. London's Cinema Club. I mean, I think it's, you know, a riotously entertaining, yet also, I think, impressively serious account of the legacy of London's wildest cinema club. The Rise and Fall of the Scala, co-directed by Jane Giles, who ran the cinema for a long period, and Ali Catterall, who is um, probably best known to many as an author. He wrote to a book called uh, Your Face Here, which is a book about British cult movies. It follows the establishment of the Scala Cinema Club, from its original home in Tottenham Street to its then iconic home uh, up in King Street, uh, in, in King's Cross. You, you've gone past the Scala many times, of course, and now it's a nightclub, I believe. So 
What happens is we hear how this was set up to show a very, very diverse range of films from, uh, you know, classics, lost classics, established classics to cult movies, exploitation movies, horror movies, kung fu movies, uh, LGBTQIA plus movies, strange, uh, weird kind of double bills of things. Sometimes... uh, stuff from television that they would do all day as of. They would have the the Laurel and Hardy fan club in there, the Sons of the Desert. I mean, literally everything. Now, I remember, so I'm the age I'm, I'm 60, I'm 60 now. When I was, uh, when, when I was a kid, um, I used to, you know, love uh, going to late night cinema. Obviously, during the 80s, most of the time I was in Manchester and the cinema there was the Arban. But I would go to the Scala when I was down. And I remember, for example, going to a slasher all-nighter with my friend Simon Booth. It was six slasher films uh, back-to-back. You know, you start at about 10 o'clock and you end up six o'clock in the morning. I remember going there to watch... There's a film called Thundercrack. Scarlett used to play Thundercrack all the time because technically, because it was a cinema club, they were able to play films that didn't have BBFC certificates. And I remember sitting there watching Thundercrack thinking, we are all going to get arrested. It cannot be legal to be watching this. And what Scarlett, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, does is it blends archive images footage, clips from some of the movies, and then interviews with people like John Waters, whose movies, you know, Pink Flamingos and all that stuff were a kind of staple of the Scala, with patrons such as Mark Moore, Joe Cornish, Alan Jones, uh, obviously, Ralph Brown, you know, from uh, Withnall and I, who used to work in the coffee bar, and, in this clip, Stuart Lee. What I, what I really remember, though, is not so much the people that felt like they belonged here in this audience as the people that had kind of just turned up perhaps to shelter or not really knowing what they'd come to. I remember being in a screening of the Cucar Brothers' Thundercrack, which is a very extreme film. I don't even know if I would watch it now, to be honest. But there was an old man there sitting near the balcony who, as it became more and more bizarre and obscene, kept standing up, turning around and sort of addressing the rest of the room of asking us why we were there and what was wrong with us. And yeah, he would then sit down and continue watching it. You know, you don't get that um, in a multiplex. <laughs> I love that clip because that is literally what Scarlet was like. I mean, it was... All the rules are being broken there. Yes, I mean, it was so... One of the things that the Scala was famous for in the King's Cross Scala was the Scala Cat, okay? The, the story of this is in, is in the film, but the Scala Cat would prowl around the cinema and people would be watching things at like three o'clock in the morning. Some people would be awake, some people would be asleep, some people would, you know, wouldn't know why they were there. And the Scala Cat would jump on you and completely out of nowhere. The seats were fiercely uncomfortable, um, which is actually quite good if you're watching an all-nighter because it was the thing that would sort of stop you from falling asleep. In the course of the documentary, you discover that in the history of the Scala, there's things like Iggy and the Stooges and Lou Reed being photographed for album covers uh, at Scala. You, we hear about its its key role as a you know a venue, key role in uh, punk, and then uh, uh, new romanticism. The most important thing, however, is this: as I said, I was somebody who who I loved the Scala. I loved the kind of the the mythology of it. I loved the um, I don't mean Joe Cornish when I said Joe Cornish. I mean Adam Buxton. Um, I love the 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 way in which that it was kind of it was a home from home for misfits. And what the film does is it it has all these accounts of people, you know, many from the LB, LGBTQ plus community talking about how they could be whoever they wanted to be when they were there. 
wherever you were in your evolution, whether you were somebody who was it was the way you dressed or the way you acted or the way you behaved, there was something about the scholar that they didn't care. They genuinely, they genuinely didn't care. It was a come one, come all, you know, we're going to show this weird selection of movies and you're going to, you know, you're just going to, you're just going to enjoy it. And it's, the documentary is funny and wild, but it's also serious because it does talk about how this was a hub of inspiration. There was a number of people who were there who, um, who then went on to do really, really good work, um, you know, become, whether it's podcasters or filmmakers or musicians, or there was something happening. And if you're an aficionado, obviously it hits all the bases. There's all the stuff about, you know, the weirdness of the building, the the whole process of getting the tickets, the, the strangeness of the films, the brilliant interview with John Waters about when they got, you know, they got taken to court for showing Clockwork Orange and, you know, and him talking about, oh, that's a badge of honour if they take you to court for showing stuff. But also, it works if you've never, ever known about or cared about Scarlet. Did you ever go to the Scala? No. No, okay. So I, I, I went, but not to see a film. I think it was, it was some... A gig? Yeah, it was a gig, yeah. Was it, was it a new romantic thing? Was it the Spandau Ballet thing? No, it was a Radio 1 thing. Oh, okay, fine. So... We showed, uh, we did a screening of it down in Exeter where it was shown to students who were too young to have been around when the scholars ran, and all, many of them from overseas as well. And they just loved it. They got it and they absolutely loved it. And the reason is because the documentary does that thing. You know the thing I always say that a documentary should make you interested in a subject you're not interested in. Well, it's one thing me looking at it and going, oh yeah, I remember that seat. I remember that double bill. Because I actually programmed one of them. When I came down to London, I was working for Time Out. They got into, I used to do the listings for Time Out. And the Scala program would come in. The Scala program was just like, the most mad collection of films and like so many of them. And I would sit there doing listings, having to get the Scala listings into time out. And you'd get one of them wrong, you know, and somebody would turn up to see Hitchcock's Rebecca. And unfortunately they were showing Thundercrack. You know, we, we had, these had real world consequences. And so I'm looking at it and thinking, I know all that stuff. And I remember all the stuff about the cat. And, oh, I, yeah, I remember that person being there. I don't remember them, but then they weren't famous then. And all that kind of stuff. And then Alan Jones, is, you know, his memories of it, of doing shock around the clock there with him and Stephanie Vaughan's in. So fine. So for me, it's like a trip down memory lane, but it's also really encouraging because it reminded me of this kind of this weirdly, dangerously safe space that on the one hand, it had an air of danger, but there was a thing about acceptance. But the best thing about it is if you'd never known about the Scala, if you'd never had any knowledge of or interest in it, it would make you interested because it's a story about something that this kind of weird artistic eruption that just happened almost spontaneously obviously hard work and enthusiasm of people behind it but people going we want to give people a a full encounter with all the extraordinary stuff that cinema can be and cinema can do and some of it will be extreme and some of it will be old and some of it will be weird and some of it will be in color and some of it will be upside down and back to front because the projectionist put the reels in the wrong way. And it's so funny and it's so exciting, but it's also got a really serious purpose to it because I think it is about a community of people who were, you know, misfits and outsiders and people who were sidelined finding a place in which they could be themselves. Ralph Brown tells this story about this bloke comes in, he's got hair like this, he's sitting at the coffee bar at three o'clock in the morning, he starts singing a song, he thinks, oh, he's got an all right voice, won't see him again. Three weeks later, he's on top of the pops and it's Boy George. You know, it was that kind of place. And I... I love the documentary. I've now watched it three times and I just thought it was joyous and 
and really invigorating and, and, and fired by that love of cinema that you only get from a cinema club that is so, you know, what's that? What's the, the phrase about that if somewhere didn't exist, you'd have to invent it? Yeah, I, see, I see I'm losing you slightly, but you're... you're, you're I'm just looking at the our next thing. Okay, all right. You, it's called being... That's what I'm just no, I know, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But it's, you know, I, I love the doc. I really, I just thought it was great. I thought it was really, really great. And Where do I see it? It's, well, it's in, in cinemas. Also, the BFI are doing a Scala season in which they're going to show some of the films that they would show at the Scala. I think they're showing Thundercrack. Is Thundercrack on over Christmas? <laughs> Christmas Eve? No? Is it not, has it ever been on television? No, Simon. Why? It's unbroadcastable. I mean, that thing when Stuart Lee says, I don't know if even I'd watch it nowadays. I literally sat there in the cinema. I mean, I'd you know, seen a bunch of stuff there. And, you know, I remember sitting there thinking, we, we are going to get arrested. There is no way it can be legal to be watching this film. Uh, we have, thank you very much for top fives and bottom fives, um, which have been sent in. Um, uh, yeah. So we'll just just do a little drift through some of these before we get to yours. No one has asked me for mine, but I, you know, might couple it together. Michael on Twitter. Uh, his bottom five. Yes. The Exorcist Believer. Big Fat Greek Wedding Three. Is, it, so is this five to one or one to five? I, no particular order. I didn't okay. Think. Big Fat Greek Wedding Three. Some Other Hood. The Whale and Meg Two. The Trench. Favourite five, Past Lives, Oppenheimer, Anatomy of a Fall, Saint Omer and Rye Lane. Just good choices. Um, ben Bradford in Leeds, Mark and Simon. My top five films of the year, Brother, which was 2022 yeah, but released in over the UK here in 2023. Yeah. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Creator, Till and Saltburn. I also really liked Empire of Light. It's in my top five for ages, but Saltburn knocked it out and absolutely loves Olivia Colman and Michael Ward were brilliant together. Yeah. Powerful film in its own, quiet down at the seafront kind of way. <laughs> um, um, Lucas Shrimpton. Yes. Uh, uh, Favourite movies, Anatomy of a Fall, Dream Scenario, Godzilla Minus One, Oppenheimer, and number one, Bo is Afraid, which would be one of my least favourite <laughs> movies of the year. Uh, Mark Harrison, BA, MA in Film Studies, and MA from the University of Manchester, apparently. Right. Mark and Simon, by the end of the year, I will have seen over 100 new films and hereby present to you my top five films of this wonderful year for cinema. Okay. Number five, Past Lives. This is a debut feature. Incredible. Yep. Four, Women Talking. How was Hilda Goodner-Dottir not nominated for original score at the Oscars? I know. Well, that was a question that I asked many times on Scala. Three. On Scala as opposed to on Scala! Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Cruz's attempts to always outdo himself never seem to get boring. Two, The Holdovers. Give Divine Joy Randolph the Oscar now. Number one, Oppenheimer. Sometimes the obvious answer is the right one. Very good. Um, very happy to have the year end on a high with Godzilla. Took me back to the early 80s and gorging on 50 cinema, including the original series, but also Beast from 5,000 Fathoms. Um, Dave Brickley. Um, okay, what have we got here? Best, Barbie, Fableman's, Great Escaper, Godzilla Minus One and the Champions, Worst, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Knock at the Cabin, Super Mario Brothers, Saltburn, and the Boogeyman. And I'll just do one more from Adam Farrand, possibly Farrand. Um, hope you, uh, oh yes, have you ever stuck to a New Year's resolution? Happy to say that I did this year, wanted to get fit, and I've lost seven stone. Wow. 
which is wow. Top five films, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Love Without Walls, and Saw X. Bottom five, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, yeah. <laughs> Infinity Pool, The Canterville, oh. the Canterville Ghost, Luther the Fallen Son, agree with that, yeah. and 65. Um, find out what the team think after this. Hey, it's Ben Bailey Smith here, Substitute Taker, and this episode is brought to you by Better Help. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. If I had an extra hour slotted into my day, I'd actually get through a question, questions. You know, it's I can never quite fit the extra shows in. We all live busy lives these days, and everything seems to move at 100 miles an hour. So how do we know what to make room for? Like, how do we know what's really important when our lives are happening so quickly? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. And if you know what matters to you, you can do more of it. And isn't that why we're really here? So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash kermode. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash kermode. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. And we're back, and we're uh, going to bring you a crescendo here with um, favourite and least favourite. I haven't done a least favourite. Oh, okay, fine, but you've done favourites, right? Yeah, and these are in no particular order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I agree with a lot of the correspondents. So I have put in The Creator. Okay, hang on, let me just get my... Yes, so fine, yep. Uh, I'm putting in Oppenheimer and Barbie because that was truly an incredible event. Plus, I thought they were both fantastic films. Barbieheimer. Yes. Past Lives, Celine Sion came on the show, and Anatomy of a Fall, which I have seen since you... Uh, so you said, I think you'll like it, and I absolutely did like it. Isn't it just... Yes, thought about it quite a lot, actually. Great. In, you know, afterwards. And also... Uh, apart from the the, the tip-top adult actors, the child actor is, is astonishing, and the dog is also astonishing. Yeah. So I would. So I'm not. I, I can't put them uh, five, four, three, two, one. But I, all of those would be uh, my favourite. Okay. So what do you think? Well, so here's what. So firstly, the 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 way that my list works is it's to do with films released in the UK yes. in 2023. So for example, when the email it was referring to Brother 2022 film, but it opens in the UK in 2023. We've always done this because otherwise you just get lost around the edges of things. That's fair enough. So firstly, let me tell you the films that didn't make my list, but that I think were absolutely brilliant. And this is a long list because whenever people say, you know, cinema, it's not like it used to be. It's not as good as it used to be. Yeah. Okay. These are the films that I think were great that didn't make my top five list. Polite Society, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, The Beasts, Pearl, Close, Broker, Blue Jean, EO, May-December, Bo is Afraid, Infinity Pool, Rye Lane, 
Reality, Talk to Me, How to Have Sex, Scrapper, Dream Scenario, Saltburn, Bottoms, Eileen, St. Omer, and Women Talking. Those are the ones that didn't make the list. Now, I defy anyone to tell me that in a year in which those did not make the top five was not a cracking year. So here are my top five. Are these in, in order? Yes. Okay. Because I thought that that was what I was meant to do. So, okay. At number five, One Fine Morning, you interviewed Mia Hansen Louvre, didn't you? Yes. About yes, One I Fine did. Morning. And you liked the film? Mia Hansen, uh, it was Mia Hansen Louvre. Well, it's spelled love, but didn't you say it was Louvre? And now I've forgotten. No, it forgot. was such an important thing to get, to get a name right, and now I've forgotten. Anyway, I yes. believe that you said Mia Hansen Louvre. I, said, I think that's, that. that's what you said, because I had always said Mia Hansen Love, but of course it's an O with a, with, with a, with a, with a strike through the middle of it, so the thing. And I, I believe that you said it was Mia Hansen Louvre, and you really... I'll, I'll go with that. And if you remember, I said to you, can you please tell her that I think she's a genius, and you did, and she went, oh, okay. Um, Great. Thanks. At number four, Return to Soul, just... Brilliant. Um, again, it's 2022 film originally. Those are both 2022 films, but open here in 2023. And I just thought, really terrific, an incredible story about somebody in search of themselves, but in search of their cultural heritage and told so well. At number three, Ennis Main, an absolute masterpiece by Mark Jenkin, an extraordinary follow-up follow up to Bait, the rebirth of Cornish cinema, a film that is made in, in a way that you could only do if you literally lived and breathed the film and the story and such a such a fantastic central performance and a brilliant, so I think it won, a, it won an award for, I think, Best Sound at the Biffers. Wonderful. Number two, Anatomy of a Fall. Just flawless, I mean, edge-of-your-seat drama that for most of the time is people talking in rooms, and yet it's nail-biting stuff. Sandra Huller's performance is amazing. The the boy who plays the son is amazing. The the way in which the, 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 the languages switch to talk about the different things, and at one point when she says, I can't answer this in that language, can I use another language? Because it's so smart. And at number one, I said this at the time, and I stick with it, past lives. Celine Song came on the show. She did. And I was just so... I mean, how brilliant that out of that, you know, you interviewed um, the director one fine morning, you interviewed the director of uh, past lives. I've done many interviews with, uh, you know, Mark Jenkins about Ennis Mate. I mean, that is a fantastic five films. Now, obviously, you know, we own these things, are but, but look at that list. What, you know, how can anyone look at that list and go anything other than, wow, cinema is great. You hit your Christmas I did, yeah. balls. I hit there. my balls. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so that's the top five. And uh, that's a very interesting, and it, you could program that quite happily, couldn't you? You could do that over across the weekend and yeah. have a very, very good time. I also, can I add to this? Sorry, um, I did realise... Are you going to do the worst ones? No, in a minute. There are, okay. other, there are other films that I left off my list of, of other things that I thought were great this year. So where do these fit in? It's just, they didn't make it into the top five, but they were, they're all so great. But the one, so the list that Yeah, you, the list, I mean, there's even more. I realised that I did, but the list went further okay. out, which was documentaries, The Automat, which I loved, In the Court of the Crimson King, which I loved, Still, a Michael J. Fox film, which I loved, and then in terms of the blockbusters, Godzilla Minus One, Creator, Barbieheimer, yes, all of it, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and actually I would include John Wick 4, 
in big <laughs> blockbuster movies yeah. that really earned their keep. And just to say in terms of things coming next year, because two of these were mentioned, Poor Things, Zone of Interest, The Holdovers, which somebody said, you know, that's officially a next year release. But so the the greatness continues. And I should say at the beginning, I am less interested now in telling you my worst choices. And there are there are far fewer of them. Just tell us what's in there. Okay, so I did my the thing about, you know, listing all the films that I hadn't liked. Okay? It's a much shorter list than 80 for Brady. Who the hell's Brady? I don't care. Luther, The Fallen Son. Well, like the TV show. Air. And then they licensed a shoe. The remake of Haunted Mansion. Um, in the sequels, Big Fat Wedding 3, The Nun 2, Fast X, Book Club, The Next Chapter. Pfft, don't care. Some films that were critical darlings that I didn't care for very much. I didn't like Babylon. I didn't like The Whale. The, the things that I finally got to the list of the, 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 the worst, number five, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is a film, which a feature film, which opens with a promising short film, and then it spends the rest of the, its running time just not doing anything that's good in the short film. Number four, Scream 6. That sound you can hear is Wes Craven spinning in his grave going, no, I didn't mean that at all. Number three, Ant-Man Quantumania. Ah. The film which, if you remember, I mean, I, you know. I do. If Michael Douglas said the best way to watch Ant-Man Quantumania was off your face on magic mushrooms. He came on the show, didn't he? He did. <laughs> and the interview. And you was... very bravely interviewed him about it. It was quite. It was an entertaining interview. It was. The film was rubbish, wasn't it? It was. It was absolute pants. It was, and it was so CGI that you just kind of just, uh, after a while you didn't just, care, no. didn't care, didn't care. At number two, Sound of Freedom, film that proves that Jim Caviezel, having played Jesus, thinks he is Jesus. Propaganda porn for QAnon conspiracy theorists and alleged Christians worshiping the devil in the name of God. Only much more boring than that sounds. Okay. And at number one, well, take a wild guess. I've got no idea. Exorcist Believer. Oh, I see. A yes, film I'm... made by people <laughs> who have watched The Exorcist but not seen it. I think they made it specifically to come top of your they did. most hated movie. Well done. They did. Here. You know, hate is a strong word. Okay. You, you said to me the other week, uh, I said, I hate you. And you said, you should really, you know, you've said that twice. And I, I realized that I had, I don't know what was weird, that thing. When I was younger, I used to get very, very angry about bad films. And I've just lost that now. I don't, I just don't care enough about the bad ones. That's probably a more healthy it is. place to be. I, I, the thing I want everyone to take away from this is bad films are bad films, but there's so many good films. There's so many good films in that which we've case, done this year. In which case, what is your film of the week? Oh, this week? Mm -hmm. Scala, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I loved it to pieces. There will be a uh, Christmassy and New Year'sy edition of Questions, Schmestions with you, surprisingly, on New Year's Day. <laughs>